Hello and welcome to another episode of Macabre for Mortals. This week and the next few weeks, I will be covering the topic of post-traumatic stress disorder. I believe this is an important topic and I do actually feel that it has actually been around for about a millennia, based under different diagnosable names. But it has been brought into the forefront of the media since the conflict in Vietnam and the Iraq war and more people are talking about it and taking it seriously. But I do also want to acknowledge that post-traumatic stress disorder can come about through any type of trauma, not just the trauma of conflict and war. From a personal level, I have some post-traumatic stress disorder, which through cognitive behavioral therapy, I have learned how to recognize and deal with. But certain situations and words can trigger my response to the domestic violence I was subjected to. Post-traumatic stress disorder can affect so many people in so many different ways. I feel like we've only just scratched the surface of this disorder. I remember my grandfather, even at my young age of two, having panic attacks when there were fireworks around due to him fighting heavily in World War II. He hated going on boats or being anywhere near the sea as he was part of the Battle of Dunkirk. He would often tell me that he had to run across the tiniest of planks to get onto the, to get onto the ship to escape when they had to leave. And if you fell off, they left you. People used to call a lot of the panic attacks down to the fireworks as shell shock. And that's just one of the colloquialisms that we now know as post-traumatic stress disorder. I also just want to give you a bit of a disclosure. I know I sound a bit funny this week. I am coming to the tail end of a cold, definitely not coronavirus, but it's affecting my the quality of my voice, but I still wanted to put the podcast out as I have recently been getting a lot of listens and my listenership has actually increased. So, and I believe if people are taking the time to listen to me, take time out of their day, when I believe I should give something back. I hope you enjoyed this episode and you find it really informative. I will come back with um, a little bit more addressing of how you can contact me at the end of the episode. But other than that, let's dive in. Post-traumatic stress disorder, or PTSD, is a particular set of reactions that can develop in people who have been through a traumatic event, which threaten their life or their safety, or that of others around them. This could be a car or another serious accident, physical or sexual assault, war or torture, or disasters such as bushfires or floods. As a result, the person experiences feelings of intense fear and helplessness or horror. After surviving a traumatic event, many people have PTSD-like symptoms at first, 
such as being unable to stop thinking about what's happened. Fear, anxiety, anger, depression, guilt are all common reactions to trauma. However, the majority of people exposed to trauma don't develop long-term post-traumatic stress disorder. Getting timely help and support may prevent normal stress reactions from getting worse and developing into post-traumatic stress disorder. This may mean turning to family and friends who will listen and offer comfort. It may mean seeking out mental health professionals for a brief course of therapy. And some people also find it helpful to turn to their faith community. It's all very personal. Support from others also may help prevent people suffering from turning to unhealthy coping methods, such as misuse of alcohol or drugs. Everyone is affected differently by post-traumatic stress disorder, and symptoms can range from subtle changes in day-to-day life, withdrawal and numbness, to distressing flashbacks and physical anxiety. Symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder may appear in the month after the traumatic event, but sometimes they can stay dormant for years. Some of the most common symptoms are re-experiencing the trauma, repetitive memories or flashbacks that are hard to control and intrude into everyday life. Nightmares, extreme distress caused by the reminders of the traumas, memories or disturbing thoughts that can be prompted by smells, sounds, words or other triggers. There is also avoidance. So staying away from places, people, objects that may trigger memories of the traumatic event. Changing a normal routine to avoid triggering memories. Not wanting to talk about or think about the event. And feeling numb. Having negative thoughts and a negative mood around is also a really common symptom. Having a feeling of a sense of hopelessness about the future, negative beliefs about yourself or the world, blaming themselves or others unreasonably, intense worry, depression, anger, or guilt, and sometimes not being able to remember the traumatic event no longer finding any enjoyment in activities that used to be the favorite things, becoming emotionally detached from others and not being able to experience positive emotions. There's also an increased arousal. So this means a constant or excessive alertness And it's something that animals actually do this. And it's something that obviously harkens back to our genetic ancestry, where we scan the environment for signs of danger. So you'll find when animals are eating, there'll be one of them 
who who constantly looks up, looks around, scans for danger. And this is what some people with post-traumatic stress disorder actually do develop because they're constantly anxious, constantly on alert and always on the sign of danger. They can be easily startled. They can be quite irritable or have aggressive behavior where there wasn't anything beforehand. And a lot of these increased arousal behaviors lead to difficulty in sleeping. So a lot of insomnia, which then leads to a poor concentration. There are children and teenagers who do show signs of post-traumatic stress disorder, and they may have a lot of similar symptoms to the above, but they do have some differences. So children have a new onset of bedwetting when they've been previously dry at night. They start being unusually clingy with their parents or their caregivers. They act out an event of trauma during their playtime. Some even forget how to talk, which I think is probably one of the most distressing signs of post-traumatic stress disorder in a child when they retreat into themselves. They may occasionally have a distressing dream and that may lead to some insomnia and not being able to sleep, which will then lead to them being more irritable, angry or aggressive and having really extreme temper tantrums. This will also lead to them having problems with concentration. A teenager may experience even further a desire for revenge on the person or the situation that's caused the trauma. They may behave in a destructive, disrespectful or violent way. And teenagers, they do push the boundaries anyway because that's a maturity where they're learning how to become an adult and how to make their own decisions. But with post-traumatic stress disorder, you may see that they have an increased risk-taking behavior. So it's not just like taking a risk like, or I don't know, trying to think of an example of, oh, I'm going to sneak that chocolate biscuit out of the cupboard when my mom's not looking. It'll be like really increased risking, like they will drink excessively to their stomachs get pumped. That's one example. So getting down to the root of what causes or what can cause post-traumatic stress disorder. And this disorder can be caused by experiencing or just witnessing a traumatic event. An event that was potentially life-threatening or involved serious injury or sexual violence. The kinds of experiences that can potentially cause post-traumatic stress disorder are serious accidents, National natural disasters, such as bushfires, floods, earthquakes, living in a war zone as a victim of war or a soldier, 
sexual assault or threatened sexual assault, a serious physical assault, psychological assault over a long period of time, and seeing people hurt or killed. Although a relationship breakup or losing a job can feel devastating, they're not the kinds of events that usually cause post-traumatic stress disorder. Anyone can develop post-traumatic stress disorder, but some people are at a greater risk. There is probably a mixture of reasons explaining why some people develop post-traumatic stress disorder and others do not. The risk factors for developing the disorder include a repeated trauma, such as living in a war zone for a long extended period of time, having a mental illness in the past like anxiety or depression, a history of trauma or abuse in early childhood, experiencing very severe trauma, not having enough support after the trauma has occurred, and then even extra life stresses after the trauma, such as the loss of a loved one, a home, or a job. And the type of traumatic event, with rape or sexual assault being more likely to lead to post-traumatic stress disorder than any other events. Post-traumatic stress disorder is not the only mental health disorder caused by experiencing traumatic events, and depression and anxiety disorders may be just as common. Depression, generalized anxiety, post-traumatic stress disorder, and agoraphobia are the most common disorders that can be caused by traumatic events. If you know someone that appears to be experiencing some symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder for longer than a month after the traumatic event. It is important to get them to see a doctor or another health professional, just to see whether they're actually getting that support that they need. A doctor will do a mental health assessment. This means that they'll ask about the current symptoms, past history and family history, and they also do a physical examination to check that there's no other reasons for any of the symptoms that could come with post-traumatic stress disorder. The doctor will usually refer someone to a psychiatrist or a psychologist. And they will also ask how long and how often and how intense the symptoms are and what happened during the triggered event. For post-traumatic stress disorder to be diagnosed, the symptoms need to be severe enough to interfere with someone's ability to function at work, socially, or at home. A full diagnosis cannot be made until there are, until at least about six months after the trauma. Often a diagnosis can come as a relief for someone who has been suffering a debilitating symptoms because it provides an explanation and a basis for beginning treatment. I know for myself, 
it was probably a good 12 months after the break away from my relationship where I was submitted to domestic violence. And I would just notice that I would avoid a lot of places. There's certain words or certain foods I couldn't look at and it would trigger like a panic attack in me. Where I've learned through with a psychologist sitting down, even though I obviously know the signs and symptoms of what to do, sometimes it's just needing that guidance from someone else to say, okay, you need to ground yourself. And everybody's cognitive behavioral therapy or whatever therapy that they would get from a psychologist or psychiatrist would need to be tailored to them. So many people do have some symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder in the first couple of weeks after a traumatic event, but most do actually recover on their own or with the help of family and friends. For people whose symptoms last longer, post-traumatic stress disorder is treated with psychotherapy or sometimes medicine or both. Everyone's post-traumatic stress disorder is different. So if you have post-traumatic stress disorder, you may need to try a few different types of treatment before you find something that works for you. There are different types of psychotherapy for post-traumatic stress disorder that can be given by a psychologist or a psychiatrist. Some treatments do actually include trauma-focused cognitive behavioral therapy. This is what I did. This can also be known as TFCBT, which involves working through memories of the trauma in a safe and structured environment trying to change unhelpful beliefs and thoughts and gradual exposure to triggers that are being avoided. May also include eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, EMDR, which involves working through memories of the trauma while going through a series of eye movements. It may take between eight and 12 psychotherapy sections to begin to get relief from the symptoms. And for some people, the condition may have become chronic and may take much longer to treat. The sooner the treatment begins, the better. Medicine for post-traumatic stress disorder is usually not recommended unless the symptoms have lasted longer than four weeks or unless the symptoms are so bad that psychological treatments aren't working. Generally, it's best to start with a psychological treatment rather than use medicine as the first and only solution to the problem. Antidepressant medication may be recommended if symptoms do not completely go away with psychotherapy, or the person is unable to have therapy for some reason. Antidepressants can reduce anxiety and fear, depression and anger. 
it's important to be aware of the possible side effects to maintain regular contact with a doctor or mental health practitioner while you're using the medications. The most important thing I think is that you need to support the person with post-traumatic stress disorder. Because research has shown that support from family and friends is important and is possibly the starting most important thing to helping someone overcome the debilitating effects of the post-traumatic stress disorder. Couples or family therapy can help to fix damaged relationships. And in some cases, family members may, may need to seek support of their own. So there is some complications of post-traumatic stress disorder. Up to eight in 10 people with long-standing post-traumatic stress disorder develop other anxiety disorders, depression and substance abuse. Coping by trying to block out their memories with substance abuse can lead to addictions. And post-traumatic stress disorder can prevent people from performing properly at work. And this can make them feel isolated from their relatives and friends. And it can put that great stress on families. And this is why it's so important to have that early support and treatment to make it essential. June is Post-Traumatic Stress Disorder Awareness Month. So I think it's really fitting to recognize this the month before and do this series the month before June. So we can all spend that time understanding and maybe recognizing maybe someone in our life who does have post-traumatic stress disorder and being that person who can support them. I am certainly going to try and be that support person for someone in my life if I see that they're going through something and I'm going to put that at the forefront of my mind through June and learning this information this month in the month of May before it comes to the month of June is going to give me that step up to be able to be their support champion. So like I've done with the other episodes, I wanted to recognize some movies about post-traumatic stress disorder that shed light on what it could be like to live with the aftermath of trauma. As I mentioned earlier, it's been called lots of different names such as shell shock and gross stress reaction, but It wasn't until actually 1980 that the diagnosis post-traumatic stress disorder was included in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Health Disorders, the DSM-5. So, though discussion about this condition is generally associated with returning veterans, anyone anyone that has experienced or seen a traumatic event 
as I said, things like sexual or physical abuse, domestic violence, car crash, can suffer from the debilitating symptoms. A lot of movies and programs are more focused of the PTSD caused by being in war, which I personally have not been in war, and I know it must be horrific. But as I have said, there are different ways that post-traumatic stress disorder can come about. And I wanted to give you all a few options of movies to watch, which actually do accurately show the reality of the disorder. And I've included a few different types of movies which can be watched to show um, different types of trauma and how they can manifest and show symptoms. So the first movie is Mystic River, which was out in 2003. Sean Penn, Tim Robbins and Kevin Bacon all star in this movie. And it is a post-traumatic stress disorder film directed by Clint Eastwood, which is based off a novel of the same name by Dennis Lehane. I'm going to give a few little spoilers throughout this, so it's just going to be a general overview of each movie. So following the murder of Jimmy's daughter, Jimmy is Sean Penn, the Boston community begins to suspect that Dave, Tim Robbins, one of their lifelong friends, is the killer. Dave, who suffers from post-traumatic stress disorder as a result of a kidnapping and a sexual torture when he was younger, is caught between his neighbours and the police. Second movie is called The Deer Hunter, and this was in 1978. This is perhaps one of the most iconic movies about post-traumatic stress disorder. The Deer Hunter stars Christopher Walken and Robert De Niro, and in this film are about three soldiers captured in Vietnam and tortured as prisoners of war. The story unwinds as they manage to escape, but they are quickly separated. This actually did actually win five Academy Awards and it is a really gripping film and it does stand the test of time in regards to post-traumatic stress disorder. Another war-based movie is number three, The Hurt Locker, which was out in 2009. So this is set during the Iraq war and Jeremy, Jeremy Renner plays Sergeant William James, a specialist with the life or death responsibility of defusing bombs. Though Sergeant James can't seem to function stateside with his wife and child, it soon becomes clear that he thrives on taking wartime risks, even ones that endanger the lives of his fellow soldiers. This was directed by Catherine Bingelow, and it did receive Academy Awards for the Best Picture and Best Actor. I believe it does show another type of symptom of post-traumatic stress disorder on the taking risks side. An unexpected one, possibly in this one, is number four, Iron Man 3, which came out in 2013. 
So post-traumatic stress disorder has even made it into the Marvel Universe. And as we all know, Robert Downey Jr. portrays Iron Man, a.k.a. the billionaire Tony Stark, who suffers from flashbacks and panic attacks after defending Earth from an alien invasion. Stark isolates himself by putting more time into developing stronger Iron Man suits. His emotional and physical withdrawal creates problems with his girlfriend Pepper Potts, played by Gwyneth Paltrow. And to make matters even worse, he must now find and hunt down a terrorist known as the Mandarin. If you're looking, if you're more into fantasy films and going into the Marvel world or DC worlds, then this is a really good one. Um, as it does show the effects of post-traumatic stress disorder in a more fantasy story. Number five, A Private War. This one only just came out in 2018. And this one is actually based on a true story. And it follows Mary Colvin, a celebrated war correspondent that's been diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder. Portrayed by actress Rosamund Pike, Colvin can't seem to avoid chasing down violent conflicts as a way to give voice to people suffering at the hands of warlords. This one was actually produced in part by Charlie Theron, who herself has acknowledged her own struggles with post-traumatic stress disorder. And I do actually believe that this one is a good look at people who have lived with war who aren't actually soldiers, who but who have lived in war zones. So this one's a really good one. Number six, The Room from 2015. So held captive for seven years in a small shed and subjected to sexual violence, Joy Newsom, played by Brie Larson, attempts to save both herself and her young son, who was born while she was held prisoner, as they escaped to freedom. After gaining their freedom, her son Jack, played by Jacob Tremblay, experiences life outside the room for the first time in his life. So Brie Larson actually worked with a trauma specialist as she prepared for her role in the room. And this is giving the other side of post-traumatic stress disorder of how to live a life after physical abuse and sexual abuse and how to let very normal triggers around you not get on top of you. Brie Larson actually earned an Academy Award for Best Best Actress for this film. And I can see why. Number seven, The Perks of Being a Warflower from 2012. After a tragic car accident that results in the death of his aunt, Charlie suffers from flashbacks and a clinical depression that have put him in the hospital. Upon his release, he's nervous about his freshman year in high school. Charlie is befriended by two high school seniors, Sam, played by Emma Watson, and her stepbrother, Patrick, while both of them struggle with trauma in their own lives. So this one actually shows trauma in children and in teenagers. And I think it's a really good one to show to teenagers as the way to help with trauma 
and help recognize people who are going through trauma. As this story does unfold, Charlie learns that there is much more to his story than he ever thought. And that his life isn't just the car accident. So the last film that I'm actually going to recommend is I, Tonya, which came out in 2018. So this is based on the real life drama of Tonya Harding's involvement in the attack on a fellow Olympic figure state skater, Nancy Kerrigan. I, Tonya is a gritty, sometimes darkly humorous exploration of an upbringing amidst a cycle of domestic abuse. Though post-traumatic stress disorder is not explicitly mentioned, Tonya Harding, played by Margot Robbie, displays many of the symptoms and traits of a person that's routinely suffering from abuse and trauma. I think this film's good because it's showing that it can be anyone who suffers from it. And even though the name isn't explicitly mentioned that this is the disorder that's to do with this, that we can glean that from it, from the symptoms that she showed. And Margot Robbie actually won an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress and a Golden Globe for Best Actress for this performance. To be honest, this was a film that I wasn't really keen on seeing at first. But once I saw it... I just thought it was brilliant and it really does show the the differences of post-traumatic stress disorder. I hope that if you do not understand the lengths that post-traumatic stress disorder can affect someone's life, watching one or all of these films can give you a more rounded understanding of the disorder and how we can actually help the people who are suffering. My sources this week were the allorecovery.com, Health Direct, and Beyond Blue. I'll put all the websites in the description box down below. I will be covering next week post-traumatic stress disorder and its relationship with crime. I'm going to try and cover it in a very similar way to the narcissistic personality disorder as the feedback I received from the way I covered that one was really positive. And the final episode, I will cover the victims of post-traumatic stress disorder. In regards to crime and post-traumatic stress disorder, I don't really feel like I want to focus on a specific person or mention any by name. I'm going to look more into research and theories behind them. Thank you for listening to another episode of Macabre for Mortals. 
If you have any feedback for me or you would like me to add or cover anything, then please drop me an email at macabreformortals at gmail.com or send me a DM through Instagram at macabreformortals. Thank you so much for sticking with me. I know I sound obviously not my usual self. Um, I'm going to try and record the second episode um, in the next few days, hopefully when I'm feeling a little bit better and I sound a little bit more normal. Until then, I hope you all have a lovely week and please stay safe wherever in the world you are. Bye.